back to School of Science Radio podcast. I'm Gino Ganello, joined once again by Matthew Chandler, and this week by another RBM uh, writer, uh, Brian Lewis. Uh, he's been on the podcast before, back in the early days, and he's joining us again. Brian, how you doing? Oh, good. Just glad to hear you met my demands. You know, <laughs> you know, putrid Everton football. You know, an occasional three points, things like that. Absolutely, absolutely. It's it's so fun watching Everton, and you know this week another <laughs> another perfect example of Everton football cheering over a draw and a you know a, a subpar one nothing win, but still it's a win nonetheless. Um, and you, you you definitely can't discount that. Let's get right into things here and start with the match that was uh, um, last Thursday um, after we recorded Everton versus Aston Villa. Uh, the the two teams grew in this one, one, one. There were five changes to the starting lineup for uh, the Toffees. Bernard, Iwobi, Coleman, Gomesh, and Holgate replaced Gordon, uh, Walcott, Baines, Sigurdsson, and Mina, though Holgate replaced by Branthwaite after 15 minutes due to the season-ending injury uh, that he, he um, endured there, unfortunately. And, and hopefully he's okay. Uh, another four four two. Brian, let's start with you. What did you think of the lineup going into this game? Uh, it kind of is what it is at this point. And I know we've all discussed at length, oh, hey, this is terrible. Here's our problems, et cetera. But, you know, I, I'm almost at the point where I'm just, let's just play it out, get out of here, move on to next season, and, you know, take what we can get. Matthew? Uh, I think this this game seems to cause more sort of uh, fury in the sort of echo chamber of, of Twitter um, when the lineup was announced anyway, just because I think certainly after the Wolves game, I think most people kind of accepted that we weren't going to get Europa League football and it's kind of a kind of a sort of meaningless game with nothing to play for other than pride, I guess. And I think the fact that Moise Keane didn't start maybe was, was disappointing. The fact that Gilfie Sigerson, uh was dropped, but then was kind of a lot of people seemed pleased about that. But then obviously Tom Davies kept his place. Um, he's been really disappointing since the restart. Andre Gomez hasn't been much better. But then I suppose, like Brian said, it's like what what else can we do to a point? I think the most disappointing one was dropping Anthony Gordon because I think. Um, you know, you don't want to burn these kids out, but at the same time, it's probably not a better time to to uh, to keep blooding them than say a game where there isn't a lot of real pressure on Evan. Um, but yeah, I guess my overall feeling was kind of a bit of disappointment when I saw the lineup. To be honest. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I I agree that we can't you know burn these youngsters out, but I think I was also disappointed that uh, that Gordon was not on the lineup um you know it's kind of just he's been playing so well he's it's not even that he's he's young and we want to see what he has he has been one of the better players that we've seen um consistently over the you know since the restart um so it was a little disappointing not to see him out there and and you would hope he would have gotten more minutes and not only in this match but also the Sheffield United match as well as we'll talk about um Another youngster that, that, that got minutes, uh, Jared Branthwaite, obviously. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about him in, uh, in the Sheffield United match. But um, after his debut in, 
uh, against Wolves when he, he gave up the goal uh, about five minutes on, uh, or not even, f- five seconds more or less. Um, oh, just one second, one minute. He gave away the free kick as well. Yeah, gave away the free kick and then and then and then was part of the reason the goal went in. After that, he's been pretty solid and, and he earned a you know a solid amount of time in uh, in the center back position um, in in that one one draw after Holgate unfortunately uh, went down. Um, any Matthew, we'll start with you. Anything that stood out to you from this match, uh, you know, aside from Branthwaite, um, aside from you know some of the things we mentioned already. Um. I think once again that Alex Awobi is not a winger. I think that's kind of that was apparent a long time ago. But I think um, I'm just I'm just reading uh, through um, Calvin did the five telling stats for this one, and uh, of Everton's thirty crosses, only six came from Iwobi. I mean, you could say equally that Bernard only contributed one, but uh, n- none of them were really to any avail, and um, I thought again, Iwobi just kind of looks kind of marginalised on the wing. I don't think he looks like he knows how to how, how to, to get in the game, how to contribute from the wing. Um, and there wasn't really any built like, you know, the way we were seeing like a partnership a bit with Bernard and Lucas Dean before down the left. I don't think Iwobi seems to have that with, with Coleman or, or Sadibi even. Um, and I think the other thing that I noticed in this game was that... Um, I think Dominic Calvert-Lewin's been okay since the restart. I mean, his work rate's still there. He's still um, kind of putting himself about and getting chances. But he, he looks like someone who will really do with a goal just to sort of settle him down. I know the season's nearly over, so it won't, it's no time for him to go on like another scoring streak. But there's one chance at the end, I think, just before we equalised, where kind of snatched at it. And it's the kind of chance where you think, you know, before lockdown, he probably would have put it away. Um, so it's kind of it's hard to be critical of players like Calvert Lewin, I guess, because they've been a lot very much improved this season. But I think he stood out to me as someone who maybe, yeah, he needs a goal. I think it's fair to say. Brian, anything to add to that? I mean, and it's not a surprise. I think it, but you know, this was really an example in what happens when you don't have a quality central midfield. It really, it drives everything. And we've seen it, I'll say what, really since Moyes left, you know, every year, either for good or bad, our success has been dictated by what our defensive midfield does or doesn't do. And this game, I remember watching, I want to say it was from the 30th to 40th minute. And it was just a, oh, just just take me out back, put me out of my misery, because it it was passing, going astray, no one really knowing what to do or taking charge. And until we have that, I yeah, you know, we're always going to struggle where the best we can even think about is maybe a seventh or eighth. Uh, but you know, it's gonna be a lot like this year where hoping if everything breaks right we can get there and it never will break. Right. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's the question, the age old question, it feels like at this point with Everton about that midfield, um, you know, obviously we did see in, and then Calvin put this in his, his five telling stats from this match. We did see the good, bad, the bad and the ugly from, from Gomesh this, uh, this match. He did get his assist, but 
there were some things that, you know, he didn't do well in this match either. And granted, it, it seems that maybe he's starting to, you know, put things together. And we'll get to that with the Sheffield United game. Is, I think that was probably one of his better performances. Um, but it, it's – there's it, – you know, it's it, it feels like it's the same problems we talk about every week. And now we're just kind of riding out till the end of the season, um, you know, and, and hoping that we get some reinforcements in uh, to, to help that midfield out and to help that, that winger situation out on, on the right side there to hopefully put together, you know, a team that looks like they're, you know, not, you know, it's competing at least um, with, with the better squads and, and handling the, the lesser squads um, like they should be. Um, just to, you know, briefly look into Carlo Ancelotti's comments before we move on from this game, unless you guys have anything else uh, to add. Um, you know, he, he mentioned, talked a lot about um, Branthwaite um, and, and how he was really happy with him. And um, I'm sure, I, I, you know, he, he was even more happy the, the, the game after that in Sheffield United. And he did talk also about, you know, the good spirit that they showed and, and how, you know, how important it was that we avoided to defeat, um, but still a lot to work on it. And I think he pointed that out as well. So anything you guys want to add before we move on to this game or move on to the next game? I mean, I kind nope. of thought we were sorry. Uh, yeah. I kind of, uh, because Villa was, Villa worked so much harder. I don't, I don't know if they said it worked so much harder, but they, they, um, they were so much more deserving of, of the win than we were. Um, so, obviously, they need the points to stay up. We are just recording this after they beat Arsenal, so I think they're out of the bottom three now. Um, but, yeah, it's kind of... I couldn't help but feel we kind of kind of robbed them of that point. And it was such a sort of scrappy goal to, to score at the end. Um, would, would either of you uh, blame... Blame Pickford for the goal, or blame anyone for their goal in the, uh, the free kick. Is it? I don't know. Pickford kind of looked as he sort of it and, and dived the wrong way, or I don't know whether it took a deflection or something as it came in. But, um, no, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like we blame Pickford a lot, so I, you know, I try and I guess. I feel like no, we, yeah. I mean, it wasn't. Probably, it, it, it wasn't really obvious. Off of that a little bit, but I understand what you're saying. Oh no, I don't think it's not. It's not like a blatant error. I just I saw. Yeah. To be honest, I saw some people say, you know, could pick would be better there, or um. But so we should have lost that game though, because Aston Villa missed that. That, that wide open chance jump. from what was it? El Ghazi. El Ghazi. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think most of all, we just kind of looked tired, didn't we? I think that was our fourth game in 10 days, and it, we looked like a team that we just played this fourth game in 10 days. Yeah, no absolutely. Absolutely. Um, moving on to Sheffield um, United, uh, this, the next game we played, which was took place on um, Monday, which was yesterday on day of recording. Um, Everton beat Sheffield United 1-0. Uh, there were four changes to the lineup. Sigurdsson, Walcott, Branthwaite, and Sidibe in for Bernard Iwobi, Holgate, and Coleman. Obviously, Iwobi, I mean, um, excuse me, Holgate hurt, so unable to play in this match anyway. Carlos switched things up. Went to a 4-2-3-1, um, obviously different than his typical 4-4-2 that we've seen him play week after week. 
Uh, Calvert-Lewin up front, Richarlison Walcott out wide. A midfield three of Sigurdsson, Davies, and Gomez. Matthew, what did you think of this so far? What did you think of this when you saw it? How did you think this played out for us? Uh, I was a lot happier when I saw how it played out than I was when I saw it because, again, it looked as if kind of too much more of the same, really. Um, see Everton's uh, Twitter account posted it as like the graphic in a, in a 4 4 2 with Sigurdsson on the wing, which um, I mean, yeah, we, we talked a lot about Sigurdsson, and I'm not a fan, but especially on the wing, I don't, I don't see why he offers, especially out of position. Um, Walcott and Sidibe, I was, I was fine with. I think Bernard and Willby haven't shown anything. I guess the only disappointing thing was, um, oh, sorry, Walcott for Bernard was fine, yeah, it will be dropping out, was fine. Coleman for Sidibe, I kind of understand because Coleman's played a lot of football. I guess, again, the only disappointing thing was there's no Anthony Gordon in the team. Uh, on the face of it, and then, and then obviously Moise Keane was left out altogether, although I think Evan said afterwards it was a, um, yeah, he had an injury. injury. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but no, I think actually the way we played in the end, in a fourth, like a 4 2 3 1 with Charleston and Walcott playing off Cavalier, I think it got the best out of the midfield, actually. I think while I thought Tom Davies was still pretty ineffective, and I think Andre Gomez especially stood out. And, and you know, to be fair, Sigurdsson, he was a lot, a lot more influential, I thought, yesterday. But I think that's important for the three of them because I think um, if, you look, if you look back to last season, obviously Gomez and Sigurdsson both had a dress again next to to do to sort of you know to clean up and to, mm-hmm. to run around and, and put a foot in and bring the ball back. Um, and while Tom Davies wasn't anywhere near as good yesterday as Adrisa Gay was at that, I think an extra body in midfield just gives just helps them just kind of facilitates their game as well and makes it easier for them to focus on what they're better at. Um so I think we've kind of I think it's kind of been obvious for a while that we've maybe exhausted four four two now. And I think we looked a much better team yesterday for changing this. Yeah. No, uh Brian, anything to add? Yeah, um and that's always the you know, you kinda of hit on the liability of the four four two is especially with our midfield. Um even is it's slow. You know your your fastest player is probably Tom Davies, and he's more of a I'm going to run around a lot than some blinding speed with the ball in particular. And I think uh, you know we were able to use that to our advantage, but it also helped I think that you know Sigurdsson in particular I think we all noticed had a much better game than normal, and some of that I think is when he's allowed to sit in a you know. 10-yard circle and get the ball, distribute it, maybe make some moves, but in a methodical way, he can be really successful. And the problem has always been we've never had the pieces to play that well. And I don't know that you really do for long-term success, uh, but today we could do some of that. And whether it was Davies supporting him and causing problems, but I mean, Davies also almost got himself thrown out. God, that was an ugly challenge uh, at midfield for the yellow. And it, yeah, depending on how the rest of the day went, he could have seen a red card. And it's just, yeah, 
there's a lot of liability and not a lot of upside. Uh, but luckily it didn't bite us in the butt this time around. Yeah, no, yeah, it's, um, I, I was happy with, like you said, Matthew, I was happy to not see the, uh, the 4-4-2 uh, with Sigurdsson out on the left. Um, it was also nice to see Ancelotti changing things up a bit. Uh, you know, going to the 4-2-3-1, um, again, like everybody, all of us have mentioned, Sigurdsson did have a, a, a probably significantly better game than he he typically has recently. Um, let's start well, – uh, Pete's five telling stats mentioned this a little bit, but let's talk about one person in particular – and dive into his performance and his past few performances. Um, that's Jared Branthwaite. Um, a lot of excitement around the youngster uh, because he has played really, really well over the last few games. Uh, Brian, what are your initial um, feelings about Branthwaite and, and kind of what you've seen? You know, it's, it's promising. It's early. Um, it, it, I, is not putting me off and saying, oh, he can't do the job at all. And I think Ancelotti's shown, you know, I, I trust that he's willing to give young players an opportunity. You know, maybe Brant Waitman's not quite ready, but injury forced him in, but he's performing well enough and there's something there. You know, I, I think some of, we've gotten really excited in some discussions of, well, man, if he pans out, you've got him and Holgate as your center backs, and look at how young they are. And yeah, that may be the case in two years, you know, but trying to anoint him now, I think is premature. And Holgate's the classic case there. We had almost all of us written him off, uh, you know, a year or so ago. And now he's in the conversation for England and is an excellent center back. So I, I want to keep seeing this. I want to see more of it, especially in the upcoming season um, where, you know, if if Ancelotti's comfortable enough with him, I don't think we'll see much movement at center back unless you can get a bona fide star at the position. Matthew? I think, uh, yeah, I agree with a lot of what Brian said there. I think, um, yeah, I mean, Brantwaite's been really good for – the Sheffield United game and most of the Aston Villa game when he was on. I thought he was a bit edgy at first yesterday, kind of, um, you know, a few passes kind of mishit or kind of took a while to grow into it. But, I mean, like you say, the stats, pretty impressive reading, 80% pass accuracy, 100% tackle success. You know, it's a good good full debut for him, I guess. Um, but I do agree with what Brian's saying about I don't want to be too hasty and... and and go aboard with, with praise for him because I think, um, you know, I mean, what I, I wrote about Bramfleet after this game was that kind of, we've done this before where you've seen an Everton youngster have a really like impressive de- debut, like, uh, you know, Luke Garbutt had the old game, Brendan Galloway had the old game, um, and then we all sort of pile on the, the praise of them and then they end up going on about three or four loans and then you know, getting released, having not played for Everton for about three years. So um, I think it's, it's interesting because obviously we've only got three senior centre-backs and then we've got Lewis Gibson and, and Brantley kind of coming through who are both really promising. So it'll be interesting to see what Ancelotti decides to do, whether um, 
you know, because I think if you're going to keep the, th- the three senior lads, you probably need to loan out Brownthwaite and Gibson next year because I think both of them are have too much potential just to be playing like the odd game or making the odd substitute appearance. Um, I mean, you think last year how little Yerry Mina even played behind Zuma and, and Michael Keane. Um, so I think what's important for Everton is that if, if Ancelotti thinks he's ready, then that's great, but he's got to play at least semi-regularly. Um, if he's not, then they need to find a loan for him, but they also they need to find the right loan for him. It can't just be like the first club that, that rings him or Marcel Brands. It's got to be a club that ideally plays the way that Everton want to play and, and, and you know, will... We'll, Likely play Gibson or Branthwaite every week, and and especially Branthwaite is you know quite a luxury having the left side, left-footed, left-sided centre back. Um, so you want to try and make the most of that and kind of nurture that um, yeah. sort of quality in his game. Um, yeah, I mean the Wolves game aside, I think Branthwaite's pretty faultless to be honest, and he also looks very comfortable on the ball. And I think Michael Keynes looks pretty comfortable next to him, so. Uh, no complaints from me so far about about Brantley. Yeah, yeah, and one thing there as well. I looked up uh, last year, the eighteen nineteen season, as a reference. You know, when you talk about getting playing time, Zuma had thirty six appearances, Keane had thirty five, and then Mina had fifteen. So that's yeah. uh, you know that's kind of right on the borderline of you know if if we have a Holgate and Keane or Holgate and Mina combination. You know, but then there's still a third center back there. I don't know that there are many appearances, um, you know, without a loan. Like Phil Jagielka was fourth, and he only had seven appearances. That's not great for a young player who's still got to learn. No. And I think um, I think you're right when you said before about Holgate. I mean, you know, just we can be quite quick to praise some of these players. I think a lot of people it took like nearly three years to be convinced by Holgate. Well, don't I mean Calvert Lewin's another good example because people seem to not be big fans of him until this season and it took him a while. Um, and also, I think the other thing about Branthwaite is just to underline how kind of inexperienced he is. He, he only made his obviously we signed him from Carlisle in January, uh, but he only made his first his first team debut for them in in September. I think he's only made like something like seventeen senior appearances. And he's only, and of course, he's only eighteen. So, um, I do feel, I do feel like this sort of age that, like, the best young players break through at is kind of getting gradually younger and younger. Um, but I think it's important that we don't expect too much too soon of someone this young and this inexperienced, just because they've had, you know, two, two good games. You know, I, I agree, and, and the one that comes to mind and, and kind of not even just somebody who had a good debut and then kind of petered out, uh, I feel like I don't want what I don't want to happen with Branthway what happened with Davies in, in some way where we get our, high, our hopes up, he scores the goal against Man City, and everybody's like, wow, this guy's so good, and, and we raise the bar to a point that he can't overcome, you know. Let's, you know, wait out and let's see how he can develop over time as opposed to anointing him as the the next great Everton center back um, after three performances. And that's not saying that he hasn't been fantastic. 
Because for the most part, he has. He's been very, very good. Um, but, I, again, I want to make sure, you know, and I, I don't want – that pressure can get to an 18-year-old for sure. Um, we've seen it get to other players before. Um, and while he has looked cool, you never know what could happen. And, and you know, I want to – you know, let's take our time with it. Let's, you know, pump the brakes a little bit. He has been fantastic, and that's great. Um, but let's see how things play out over time and not – put so much pressure on him that he has to perform it or feel like he has to perform at a, at a level he can't at this current moment. Um, a couple other things from uh, the match uh, Pete wrote about. Um, obviously, Richardson scored the goal. Um, Dominic Calvert-Lewin and him now both have 15 goals um, this season, which is fantastic. Thankfully, um, you know, they've put together some performances, putting some balls in the back of the net because – having got goals from many other places. Um, there's been more positivity from the Everton midfield. Obviously, we talked about Sigurdsson. thought Gomesh had a pretty decent game as well. And I, I thought, you know, any, anything you guys want to add about the midfield um, specifically and how they played in this one? Um, yeah, just, just as, as a three, they, I say as a three, they looked more comfortable and um, – I think as well, I think we looked a lot more controlled than we did um, playing that system with under Silver, which kind of Silver hardly ever veered from. Um, you could say that maybe we used to press a lot more in that system than we did with Silver. Um, I don't really feel like Chevrolet United demanded that we press them that high because they didn't really impose themselves on us either. Um, but, I mean, yeah, last game of the season, it'll be interesting to see uh, whether Ancelotti mixes it up or whether he should just sticks with that and going forward. I don't know. It's kind of kind of open to debate now, I guess, which formation Ancelotti will go with next year. Or even, I guess, whether he'll have, like, a preferred formation and kind of just uh, go game by game and on what he thinks is best to, to nullify who we're playing. Yeah, I mean... Hopefully he does. Uh, I mean, I kind of like the idea of having a few different formations we could play by. I feel like a lot of managers that we've had recently have gotten locked into a certain formation. Um, you know, hopefully that, that versus we can bring some of that versatility uh, here um, within the next year. Um, just to finish up some things Ancelotti said, uh, the spirit was really good. It's not a surprise. The players know really well what our supporters ask for on the pitch to have a good spirit and fight. And we showed that today. We had opportunities on the counterattack. I'm really pleased with the performance. We are at the end of the season, but this is fantastic. This fantastic spirit can be a good sign for the future. Um, any last words on this match before we, we move on? You guys got anything? Or are we good to move on here to, to some Everton news? I think just the other thing I was going to say was um, that was our eighth win with Ancelotti and, and – uh, seven out of eight of them have been by just one goal, which I think is quite a good sign in terms of sort of digging out results and grinding through games. Because um, yeah. we were so terrible at that under Silver. You know, you think of the amount of points we lost from winning positions, um, never mind the amount of points we didn't win from losing positions. Um, I think even though progress has kind of been a bit up and down, Ancelotti, I think that's one thing. And also, just going back to centre back quickly. Um, so I, I I put on the Twitter account yesterday our our five sort of centre backs um, Mina Keane Holgate Gibson Brantley and kind of put out the question would what would you do with them next season 
um, a lot of people said they they would like us to maybe buy a sort of bona fide, you know, star centre back or you know, centre back is better than what we've got. Um, I was wondering if either of you guys would do that, and then if we did, whether you would sell one of the three that we've got, or whether you, you think there's more there's kind of higher priorities at the moment. I think before the break, you'd probably – I think that before the break, it was almost 100% that we were looking for a new center back just because Keem was very up and down. Obviously, Mina was hurt. Um, and there was a lot of uncertainty at that center back position. Um, I don't know – I mean, obviously, the idea of, a, of getting another big center back in there, having some competition is great. but you know, like you said, Matthew, I think that there's other priorities that we need to uh, attack first rather than, you know, maybe, a, you know, we'll probably need to, to reinvent that whole right side, probably a right back and, and a right wing um, or, or, a, or a right, um, right midi. Um, we definitely need someone in center midfield. And I think our money would be, I think we'd be more complete as a team if we focused on that rather than focusing on, center backs in, in a situation where we're probably, I mean, we have three solid center backs. The only thing they would worry me. And I think you mentioned this in the, in the chat, Matthew is, is obviously the injury. Somebody mentioned it, the injury proneness of Mina and, and how only having three center backs could put us in a situation. So maybe not a star. Maybe we look at somebody who can push the other three guys and, and have competition, but you know, isn't that, you know, isn't going to cost us a ton of money. Um, but I think that there's other more important um, positions that, that need to be looked at. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. It, I, I did a jump um, to previous seasons, I want to say in the last week. And on average, unless we have a uh, really, you know, a big windfall, like say selling Lukaku or something similar, we generally buy about five, uh, either squad players we expect to contribute or starters and we sell about four and you know based on that yeah you could do a center back as one of those five but if I'm spending my money it's in center midfield because really and I'll say when the wheels fell off the wagon for Roberto Martinez um, you know that the year Tim Howard really seemed to drop off it was because the defensive midfield had just died and it was just getting our center backs killed. They were being, they were being forced to step up to defend higher up. And then all of a sudden you had wingers coming in behind them and it really wasn't the center backs fault because the defensive mid was getting beat. So I, you know, I mean, heck if we could find two defensive mid type players, and then I would go from there. Yeah. Maybe you get a winger, maybe a creative midfielder or something, but I'm putting most of my money there first at the defensive mid position and then going from there. Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to see where Everton goes. It'll be interesting to see, um, you know, what direction they choose to go as the transfer window opens up here, uh, you know, next Monday, I believe it is. Um, but we do already have some news in the transfer business. Um, reports coming out today. 
Uh, Pierre-Emile uh, Hoiberg, Everton had been linked with him a, a, um, leading up to this point. The Telegraph reported today that Everton, that Southampton had reportedly accepted Everton's 25 million pound bid for the Danish midfielder. Um, just some, some things about Hoiberg. 24 years old, 134 Southampton appearances since joining in 2016. And something I didn't know, um, previously played under Guardi- uh, Guardiola in, uh, at, at Bayern. But um, shortly after those reports came out, um, the Liverpool Echo reported that what, the, what was originally reported by the tele- Telegraph was not correct. Hoiberg would prefer a move to Tottenham and Everton value the center midfielder at about 14 million pounds. Um, Brian, let's start with you. Cause you were just talking about the center midfield. What are your opinions on Hoiberg and, and I guess the likelihood of a deal getting done? Yeah. I mean, it's, I'll say he's fine. It's, you know, we get some youth, uh, though, you know, a lot of the guys aren't super old at defensive mid, you know, maybe get a little bit more speed and willingness to run, but I can't, you know, I, I can't say, Oh yeah, this is amazing. Um, you know, just cause from what I have seen of him, it's not this amazing player. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what Spurs do if they really are interested because, you know, Mourinho with his, very defensive counterattacking style really is puts a premium on his midfield and what he asks them to do to set. Uh, and I don't know that we necessarily want to play a counterattacking style. So, uh, you know, in some ways, if Mourinho is really going after him, it could be an indication of Mourinho thinking his skill set works really well in his system. And I don't know if that's going to play well with what Ancelotti wants to do. But, you know, at the same time, it's at that price, as expensive as it will probably be, you know, that's not that expensive in today's market. So, you know, no. maybe worth a shot. Don't, don't Tottenham already have one of them, though? Um, and Dumbelli, they spent about $50 million on. Yeah. Is he not in the same mold as Flavor? But Mourinho seems so, to not really like him that much. <laughs> I, don't think I know, yeah, he's, yeah. he's barely played him. Um, Which, I mean, I would gladly, if there's some sort of Ndombele ending up at Everton, that's probably a decent place. I, I think he's I can't say not that. bad, but if Mourinho wants um, to get rid of him. <laughs> with with Hoiberg, um I wonder whether Southampton have, um, are trying to basically, you know, Force Tottenham's hand and basically win some more money out of him and get a get a bigger bid than twenty five. Um, I had read somewhere that they wanted close to thirty five, which yes. seems just seems too much. It just seems too much for me for a player who, you know, I don't watch Southampton every week, obviously, but I've I've seen, you know, a fair bit of him and never really stood out in the Southampton team to me. Um, I mean. I've seen people compare him to Idrissa Gay in that in that term, in kind of that underrated Premier League team, like you know, not particularly uh, outstanding Premier League team, uh, defensive midfielder who you know comes up a level to join Everton and then is like the the key cog in our team. 
But Jose Gay still feels like a really different kind of player to what Hoiberg was, mainly because Hoiberg seems quite sort of one-paced and, uh, you know, I don't want to, maybe, yeah, maybe just slow. I don't know. Whereas Gay was not, you know, Gay was not lightning fast, but he could get around the pitch pretty pretty quickly and, and um, you know, left a foot in, in a tackle. Um, and of course, Gay was only seven million pounds, so there's a lot of a, there's a lot lower risk with that signing. Um, paying thirty five million for for Hoiberg, if that's what Everton are forced to go to to get him, just seems like not great value. For I know, I know, no player really goes for what they're worth now, but I think Everton could surely find a better midfielder. Maybe if they scout a bit more creatively than just in the Premier League, I think. The, there has to be better value for money there than than Hoiberg. I'm not saying he's not, you know, I'm not saying he wouldn't improve us. He's better than what we've got, but also I think it's important to say that just because a player might be better than what we have doesn't necessarily mean he's the right signing or that he's, you know, good enough for Evan. Yeah. No, yeah, and I, I agree with you. I think 35 million is, is too high. I think even, you know, 25 million pounds, like, like Brian said, in today's market isn't, terribly terribly high but I have not I don't really watch too much Southampton so I can't really tell you my opinions on him as a player um but I think you're right I think you know we probably could find an equal or better player for a similar price tag if he does end up going to Tottenham or or if the price goes up um to to a to a point that we don't we don't want to uh uh, go after him at. Um, I mean, it seems that Everton don't really want to go after him at 25 million pounds if you listen to the reports, because obviously their evaluation is at 14 million pounds. So we'll see how it all plays out. It'll be interesting. Well, I'm sure we'll find out shortly. Um, you know, within probably the next week or so. You know, if if Spurs wrap things up um, with Europe and can get into Europe, um, that might expedite things. Who knows? Um, because obviously Hoiberg has said he wants to to play European football and compete for trophies and that whole thing. Um, moving on to... Think, uh, go ahead. Sorry, sorry. I was going to say, I think um, the two two things as well is we don't know how much like our transfer budget might be diminished by yeah. coronavirus. Um, obviously, the market's going to be kind of weird this year because it, it's, it's a late start and then finishes like, Three weeks into what? Three weeks after when the new Premier League season is meant to start, mm-hmm. um, and also I think if clubs are smart, then they will put a big premium on their midfielders if Everton come in for them because they'll yeah. know desperate Everton are for them. Yeah. So um, we are going to have to overpay probably for midfielders, but I just think we don't have to overpay as much as Hamson want for Hoiberg. No. Yeah. Totally. Totally agree with that. Um, like, like I was saying, uh, moving on to our, um, our final thing that we got to talk about today. Uh, Everton versus Bournemouth, the final match of the Premier League season for the Toffees. It'll take place Sunday, July 26th, 4 p.m. British Standard Time. That's um, 11 p.m. here on the East Coast, 10 a.m. where – or 11 a.m., sorry, on the East Coast, um, 10 a.m. over by Brian. Um, last meeting, Bournemouth – uh, beat us 3-1. Uh, it was back in September of 2019. Uh, their previous result, though, was a 2-0 loss to Southampton this past Sunday. Haven't been in great form 
lost three of their last five with um, just one win and one draw, rounding out the other two matches. Um, it's the final game of the season. Bournemouth need to win and hope that Watford and Villa both lose in order for them to stay up. Uh, it's a difficult task for them, but they need this match, and Everton don't. <laughs> this is really – Everton's going to be stuck in a similar position no matter what they do. No Europe, no nothing. What are you guys expecting from this uh, from this match, Matthew? Um, well, I'm expecting Bournemouth to probably come with more motivation than Everton just because of the circumstances. Uh, having said that, though, I think – the performance yesterday at Sheffield United gives us more of an incentive to, to finish the season on a high. Because uh, it'd be nice to sign off what's been a pretty turgid campaign again with with two straight wins, two two straight clean sheets, ideally. Um, and, yeah, I think I'd probably keep with the same team or, or roughly the same team um, just to kind of develop some sort of continuity there. Certainly expect to see Branthwaite again because there's nobody else really to play at centre-back besides him and Keane. Um, and as someone who doesn't really like Bournemouth, it'd be, it'd be quite nice to relegate them, to be honest, because we never seem to win at Bournemouth either. So No, it's one, literally never. Literally, I hate the one curse the way ground. Yeah. <laughs> um, literally never. And of course, Eddie Howe was, some, Eddie Howe was someone who was kind of linked with, with, uh, linked with the Everton job. Uh, even even before Marcus Silva was sacked, so um, kind of you know damning how how far Bournemouth has fallen since then. But um, I think Bournemouth will be very nervy as well. They're, they're a very open team, uh, as everyone knows, because they you know they like to play football and, and that can leave them exposed. Um, and they have always lost at Goodison. I read since they come up, they've lost every time. So. Another record to try and keep intact, and you know whether they'll be intimidated by that, I don't know. Um, but certainly, you know they're a very beatable team, obviously because they're second bottom of the league. Uh, but if Everton approaches the same way they did when Aston Villa came last week, then uh, we'll have issues because um, you know Everton did, did not match Aston Villa's intensity or you know motivation levels that day. So there's a lesson from that to learn, I think. Absolutely, Brian. Yeah, I mean, as cliche as it is, I think the first five to ten minutes are basically going to tell us who wins. Because if Sheffield, or sorry, not Sheffield, if uh, Bournemouth come out and are playing their style of football and we look like we did against Aston Villa, I think you know it'll come. It'll be a Either Bournemouth wins or they have so many chances and just can't quite put put it away. Whereas, you know, if we come out like we did against Sheffield United, even if uh, Bournemouth is kind of up for it, I think it'll be draw or we'll come out with a win. You know, I, motivation for us is really going to be interesting because, you know, Ancelotti's comments have kind of been that he more or less knows what he wants what he doesn't like about the squad, you know? So is there really much incentive for players, you know, say a Tom Davies, if he's concerned about what his future is at the club, you know, to really play, you know, bust his butt on Sunday and, and try to get a win. 
Um, I, you know, with, I, I got to see, I think the last three Bournemouth matches and yeah, they, they just look off even when they've been playing, I'll say well in stretches. They, they don't look like the Bournemouth that absolutely took us to the woodshed in September. Um, and, you know, some of the other matches I've caught. And maybe that's a function of the lack of a crowd, especially for them at home and even away. I mean, that it really does play with uh, players, you know, emotions and mental prep. But, um, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting. I'm hoping it's at least some entertainment in the match it would be kind of nice to not absolutely hate watching 90 minutes of Everton even when we win (laughs) but we'll we'll see no yeah it'll it'll be it'll be interesting I agree Bournemouth haven't really looked like themselves and obviously one of their most talented players Ryan Frazier um, hasn't played with them over over, yeah over the I guess since the restart because he's gone um so, you know, maybe that plays into it a little bit as well. But it will be a hard-fought match, I think. Um, always seems to be when we play Bournemouth. Um, real quick, let's do some predictions. Matthew, we'll start with you. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Bournemouth go ahead. Um, because they can't, you know, I think they'll certainly start the game sort of raring to go. And, and they should be anyway, because they need to be. Um, but I would fancy Everton to just kill them off because I think, like Brian said, they have good spells in games and they have the, the capacity to to kill teams off. Like I watched them against Leicester and they just battered Leicester um, last week. But then, like against Southampton, they were okay in that ten times, and but then it feels like they just kind of fall to pieces at the first sight of danger. Uh, kind of reminds you of Everton for you know, certainly the start <laughs> of the season. Um, but I think I would fancy Everton to get win three one, maybe. Is it too too optimistic to expect us to win by more than a goal under Ancelotti? Maybe uh, or score three <laughs> goals in a game, maybe. But yeah, don't need Calvert Lewin to score as well because he needs. I say he needs a goal, so I'll go three one. Brian? Yeah. Um, I I will say. I'm going with a win, too. I think it'll be a 2-1. The nice thing is I don't feel bad about picking a one-goal win for us because we can actually do it under Ancelotti. Um, You know, my prediction league uh, picks never went well because of that fact before. But um, I think one thing I'll note is I think if crowds were in the stadium, I think we lose this match. Because it absolutely screams a, you know, Bournemouth take the lead. Our crowd just gets antsy, kind of quits, gets nervous. The Bournemouth away supporters are really excited. There's hope, you know, say results might be going their way in the other matches. You know, it, it just screams of that if we had fans in the stadium. But we don't, and I think that does benefit us in some matches like this. All right, I guess I get to be the pessimistic of us three. Um, I'm going to go with the draw. I'm going 1-1. I just, I don't know. It's, it's one of those things, I always feel like we play terribly against Bournemouth, even though they're, they, they haven't played great. You're right, Matthew, they do have their spells. And I just like, I don't know. I just can't see, 
us getting to the level of a Bournemouth or the, I mean, Bournemouth need to win this game. Whereas a lot of the players kind of probably already looking at the vacation they're going to get in, you know, we, and I don't blame them. There's not really much to play for. So, um, you know, I kind of see a draw on this one, one, one. I don't think it's going to be too high scoring. I think it'll probably be, you know, Bournemouth have their chances, Everton have their chances and, and don't um, convert on enough of them. And, uh, and, and we, we draw this one, one, one. We but, haven't lost at home yet, have we? Sorry, I can say we haven't lost at home in the round twenty. So, yes, Bournemouth, oh yeah, well, that I mean, Bournemouth uh, will need to be the first team to do that. So that's, that's uh, yeah, some encouragement for Everton, I guess. Yeah, no, yeah, and I, I'm sure Anthony has all these things racked up for uh, his 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 pregame speech down there in the in the dressing room to get them motivated because that will be um, the hardest part probably about this game. Um, that's all we got for today. Uh, Brian, thanks so much for joining us. Matthew, thank you for joining me as always. Um, everybody else will be back after the, um, the Bournemouth match to kind of wrap up the season and, and I guess give a look forward to what to expect. Um, but until then, we'll, we'll see you guys later.